This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. FM 89.9, The Business Station. My name is Richard Bradbury and welcome to Open for Business. In line with the upcoming Malaysia Day celebrations, I'm thrilled to host a special guest. It is Rosemary Wong, a dynamic figure in the Sarawak hospitality scene. A decade ago, uh, she introduced us to her boutique hotel, The Rani, and set out with uh, a vision to redefine boutique hotels in East Malaysia. Not only did she challenge the norms by positioning her boutique establishments alongside five-star brands, but she also navigated through the challenges of the pandemic, expanding her hospitality and retail ventures. Today, as we shine a spotlight on the newly opened Borneo Cultures Museum, where Rosemary's Rani Artisan Gallery occupies two floors, we'll explore her passion for Sarawak's arts, crafts and heritage. We're delving into her story, her aspirations, and her dream to elevate Borneo's cultural scene. Tell me a little bit about how you got interested in in what it is that you do. Just give me a bit of background about yourself moving into this kind of field. Well, I started a boutique hotel in 2012. It's a small luxury boutique hotel, 24 rooms, called the Rani Boutique Suites. And it was out of frustration of not being able to recommend our guests and visitors as to where to go to to buy good quality, um, holy, made in Sarawak gifts and souvenirs. Mm. That got us thinking and started with the gifting uh, business. So initially we started with a shelf of just postcards that support charities in Sarawak. And that was selling well in the days when people were still sending postcards (laughs) and letters a lot more than today. And then we thought, then we started with other little things like uh, keychains, notebooks, fridge magnets. Then we realised that there was actually a demand for more things. And we did an open call and asked local artisans or communities and charities, NGOs, anyone who's making good quality gifts mm. that you think is worthy of being in a boutique hotel mm. to come forward and come and see us, bring your products with you and show us what you have. Mm. And that's how we started, really, with the gifting. Where did your interest from it come, though? My interest from... Yeah. Well, my background is I did a degree in fashion and specialised in printed textiles. I graduated from Central St. Martins in London and I also did a one-year diploma in interior design. So I've always had a keen interest for... Nice things. Nice things, right? (laughs) I mean, and who doesn't love shopping? Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, where did the name come from then, Rani? The Rani is the title for the Queen of Sarawak. Right. Uh During the time of the British rule where we had the White Rajas and the Rani. I see. Well, I, I've learned something already today. Yeah. So yeah. it's very apt that we named it Rani because I was always inspired in my travels um, with the Royal Foundation in Thailand mm. and how they were encouraging the development of agriculture products and craft products in Thailand through the villages throughout Thailand. Mm. And 
what they have done, I think, under the royal foundation with the previous king was very noble and very good. And I took that idea and I wanted it to translate into Sarawak to our landscape. And with the communities that I'm working with, it's more one long house, one good product, one signature product. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, um, I know that you have uh, an, an outlet in the uh, Borneo's Cultural uh, Museum. That's right. Cultures Museum. Yep. Um, how did that kind of happen? Well, <laughs> um, over the pandemic, when the COVID pandemic came, like a lot of businesses, I'm sure, we were forced to close. Firstly, we were forced to close the hotels. We were not allowed to operate. Right. So the hotels were closed almost two years, I'd say. Now, when the hotels closed, the gift shop, of course, also closed. Now, we had all these stocks in hand mm. and we had so many, uh, I felt we had a lot of obligations to our makers and suppliers. So if the pandemic forced us to take our shop online, which we had talked about before, but never looked at it seriously enough mm. to do, mm. it was a good way to force us into going more digital. And um, we had no choice, basically. Through the pandemic, we photographed our products, put it up online, created a website, created an online shop, and was hoping to move the products from there. Now, when we did that, we actually emptied out both the shops in a hotel and located it into one office space so that it was easier for us to distribute the products mm -hmm. as well. Post-pandemic, coming up the pandemic, we talked about reopening the shop, and then an opportunity came. We were invited to apply for the shop at the Borneo Cultures Museum. Now, we were, of course, very hesitant. I, it's a, a big space, 3,000 square feet, which is a big space, two stories. Mm. And we had just come out of a pandemic, right, where we weren't sure. There was so much uncertainty. Would a retail work? Would we still continue crafting? Would we still have tourists coming in? Everything looked so bleak at the time. Mm. But then we thought about it and I said, you know, how often do you get an opportunity? Right to run a shop in a museum. Mm -hmm. And this museum is is the second largest museum in Southeast Asia. So I thought it's a really good opportunity to now take what we've done over the last few years onto a much larger scale and to create that platform and opportunity for our local artisans. Mm. So why not? And it seems... You know, almost a, it's a match made in heaven. You know, it, it's the kind of products that you would want to see in a kind of museum store like that. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, and as somebody who's lived here quite some time, and I go to um, some of the museums here, and I go to some of the gift shops here, and some of the stuff that's available in these gift shops mm -hmm. is is questionable, mm -hmm. uh, I would say. And so, looking at some of the products that I know you are selling there. I love the fact that they um, they appeal to me because I know they're authentic. And I think that's something that for me would, would encourage me to want to spend time in a two-story gift shop as opposed, oh, as opposed to, <laughs> you know, they're just selling you know, bric-a-brac almost, yep. you know. How important is it for you then to, to ensure that the things that you are putting in there um, have an appeal and are genuinely authentic um, to to Sarawak? Well, that's how we started, right? With mm. the original gift shop at the hotel. And because of the frustration of not having good quality made in Sarawak products, I mean, we had craft products, we had gift products, but maybe it wasn't, um, how do you say, presented, projected in the right way. So we had a lot of baskets, mats, uh, woven textiles, 
some of them I felt were beautiful, mm. some way undervalued, mm. um, maybe not sold to the right market. So creating this wholly and authentically made in Sarawak was very important for me. Mm. And to be able to manufacture everything in Sarawak is great. Well, we don't have anything mechanized. Yeah, Most of our the products that we do with our communities are all handmade. Even the mats, the material for the mat weaving, everything's hand-stripped. So there's nothing mechanized about the process of what we do. Mm. And I felt that it was important for us to rejuvenate the crafting industry in Sarawak, which I felt was very fast diminishing. Mm. Yeah. Now, when we went on to the Borneo Cultures Museum, of course, we felt that's a really good platform to be able to showcase that. But we were also mindful that we are now in a Borneo Cultures Museum. So it's not just about Sarawak but yeah. about Borneo. Yeah, yeah. So at the moment, we have, I'd say, about 90% of products in there from Sarawak. But we have now opened up, we're taking products from Sabah communities. We're also taking products from Kalimantan um, to be able to encompass not yet Brunei in the near future. So w- with that shop now positioned at the museum, we cannot just look at Sarawak, but Borneo. For sure. Having said that, even though we've got a small smattering of products from Sabans and uh, Kalimantan, it is still the Sarawak products that the tourists and visitors buy or tend to gravitate towards buying. That's interesting. Yeah, so maybe they feel that when they're in Sarawak, they should pick up something that right. is Sarawak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold that thought. Let's take a short break. Folks, I'm in the studio with uh, Datin Rosemary. Uh, we'll be right back after these messages here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Birkins for Mama. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBully.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. FM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome back to Open for Business. My name is Rich Bradbury. I'm in the studio with Denton Rosemary. Now, um, I guess we've kind of had an introduction. We we know why you're involved in this. We know why you have an interest in this. And we know that you're actually in this museum space right now. And I guess um, I, I want to look at like the idea of these traditional crafts and how I suppose when some people walk around gift shops, they want to know about the, the kind of wisdom behind um, some of these products, you know, and, and how it's passed down from generation to generation. How do you make sure that the, the stuff that you're putting in there is, is genuine and not somebody just coming to you and saying, OK, well, we have this idea and we think we can play around with it a little bit. You know, how do you, you make sure? And I suppose, it, quote unquote, it's traditional. Mm. So... Um, in 2016, I started working directly with um, the Iban community in Batong area. Right. Now, when you're working with the direct source, you know it's authentic. Yeah. Right? And even if it's products that I take from other communities, say the Penan communities, then I work through somebody who has been working for many years with the community. And you can tell. I mean, you need to do a little bit of research on what the traditional Mm. basketry, for example, is. 
and what they're sending you and showing you. Mm. Of course, having said that, I design and develop a lot of products with them that are more contemporized. Okay. So using traditional weaving methods, but more contemporized design. I do that as a conscious effort because I feel that, firstly, I mentioned before that the craft industry is a fast diminishing industry. Now, how do we get the younger generation to be interested, to still be interested in sitting home and weaving, mm, mm. right? Because a lot of them don't see it as a viable career. It has to be something they're interested in doing, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think for me, I felt like, I mean, maybe because of my design background as well, I felt like the design has to evolve to make it relevant. Yeah. I mean, it has to be fashionable now, yeah, right? Yeah. For people to want to buy it. So to have that demand... You need to create, you know, it's a supply-demand mm. sort of an argument about it. Mm. Yeah. Just to go back on that point you were talking about younger people involved in this, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of a socioeconomic impact is it having on those people? You know, are, are they, now that you've done this, are there more of them wanting to get involved? That, that's an interesting question because when I started doing this with the first longhouse community that we worked with, they uh, they were predominantly a mat-weaving community. So weaving with bumban and then now weaving with plastic box straps. But floor mats, large floor mm, mats. Mm. Now, how many houses these days have used for a large yeah. floor mat? You know, houses, people are moving into smaller mm. abodes, right? They're Boxes moving into <laughs> apartments and studios, <laughs> right? So then I thought, okay, what can we do with the skills? So I identified a skill and then redesign and develop a new product. So mm. then we did table mats. Right? Everybody eats. Yep. Everybody's got a dining table. Yep. So smaller pieces of mats, but for dining purposes. When I started the project with them, I went in and I brought in templates, paper templates, and I said, okay, we want it woven this size. My color choice is black and white. I want it in a box strap material because I want it to be hygienically clean. I could wash it down. Whereas with the natural fiber, which is beautiful, but if the consumer does not know how to take care of it, or if you wash it and you don't dry it properly, it tends to go moldy, moldy. in yeah. the tropics anyway. Yeah. Now, I consciously picked the colour of black and white because I wanted to pare down the colours and get them focused on that for the product. Traditionally, the Ebans, they love bright colours. Purple and yellow combination, red and green, mm. blue and red, mm. you know. The more it clashes, the better. The better, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. So when I chose black and white, I... Ask them, so what do you think is my, are my patterns nice and, you know, is product nice? And they said to me, no, madam, your <laughs> colours are not nice. And I said, why? They said, it's the colour of death. Oh. Okay, so, yeah. okay, I respect that. So I said, okay, so for my products, you weave in black and white. For your products, you weave whatever colour you want. And I will pay for all my black and white products, right? So it was, it was sort of convincing and easing them into something different and something new. Yeah. And um, fast track now, a couple of years down, I now see matte products all in black and white weaves. Oh, really? Right. So that style has now translated down of what we're doing. And I see other communities Mm. copying our style because Mm. prior to this, I never saw any other communities weaving baskets or Mm. mats in black and white, which Mm. is a very strong contrasting color. Yeah. Yeah. Of the products that are available in, in, in the gift store right now, what would you say is the best-selling product or, or the, a group of best-selling products? Ooh, um, the upcycled fan cover. Oh, really? Yep. A fan cover of all things. Okay, let me describe it to you. So when I say fan cover, you're like, okay, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> so you know table fans and wall fans, yes. right? They yeah. have a metal grill cage uh, yeah. over the blades. Yeah. 
Now, when your fan's spoiled, what do you do? Chuck it out. That's right. Right? Chuck it in a bin, goes yeah. to the scrap metal yard. So we go to the scrap metal yard and we collect these fan covers, the metal grill, okay. the front and back cover uh-huh. um, of your old fan. And then we send it up to the Longhouse community. They clean it up, sand it down, respray it, clean it up, and then they start weaving on the metal frame. Oh, wow. So the metal frame then acts as the base frame for weaving. And then we weave um, colourful box straps through it, natural fibre, rattan, rasam, and turn them into decorative trays. So you could either use it as a tray or you could use it as a wall art. And then we have since developed and designed that product into um, like a butler's tray table, coffee tables, what a great idea. lamps. What a great idea. <laughs> yeah. So that has been a very successful project. We started a project with uh, a longhouse in Baton called Rumakura Paspa in 2017. And in 2018, they won an award of excellence from the World Craft Council for that product. They won an award for that? That's right. Called the magic of upcycling. That's a brilliant idea. I, I suppose with it being in the museum as well, how um, how does it serve as a platform for that for them to help uh, for these indigenous communities to preserve um, their cultural practices, I guess, and to kind of pass them on to the to the next generation? Do you think? Well, with the museum, we're basically creating demand, yeah. right, with products. So where there is demand, we now encourage supply, and where there is supply, that's going to bring economic value to them. Mm-hmm. The Yvonne community that I work with, they don't do crafting full-time. They do it as a part-time job. Their full-time job mainly, they're farmers, Mm. right? Pepper farmers, huge pepper farmers. The best syrup pepper comes from Batong region and rubber tappers. So the ladies who who craft for us, they do this as an extra income, say in the evenings or, or, for example, if they're homebound and they can't go farming to help their husbands and they're looking after elderly or young kids... Um, then at least it's something they can do while sitting at home. Mm-hmm. And how much involvement do they have in the narrative as to what is being displayed in the in the uh, shop? Not so much in the shop, but in the design of the products when we work with them. So, for example, if they do a basket product and we like it, we then develop further develop that product with them, mm-hmm. right? So what we do is we, we dictate the, um, say, for example, the size of the basket, the width of it, but we don't dictate the motives, right? So yeah. the motives are authentically theirs yeah. and whatever motives that they like to do. So normally when we do a project with them, they would initially create, we would go in and say, okay, we like this basket. Now, this is the height or width that we want. This is the color scheme that we want. You come up with 20 pieces. Then they come up creatively with whatever motives they want. Mm. And we encourage all different motives to 20 pieces. Mm. Then from that, we narrow down and select, okay, which motifs work for this baskets and which ones don't. Then we get them to produce another small batch of the selected motifs that we have chosen. Mm. And then once that is out and it's okay, we then put in the orders. So we scale up slowly like that. I think people don't understand the struggles when you work, when we say we work with community. We, when we say community, basically anybody and everybody can be involved, right? Whether you're an accomplished weaver or whether you're a beginner, or whether you have no weaving skills. Now, for us to make it a community project, we have to recognize the the various levels of skills. So we, and actually, I didn't know this. It was the weavers who told me that when I went on one trip to the longhouse, and I said, why am I I still products not out? You know, 
what's happening? You know, why are we still sitting on backlog of order? And they said, Madam, we can't weave this. And I said, why? Only those two ladies can do it because the pattern is too complicated for us. We are not that level, right? Then I realized that this part of the community or these ladies, this group of ladies could not get involved in making that order of stools because it was a floral motif that we choose, chose and their level of weaving skill was not to that level. Right. So then I asked them, I said, what can you weave then? And they said, oh, we can weave checkered, we can weave lines, you know, something mm. simpler, they can, they can weave. Mm. They can weave, but they can't weave that motif. Mm. So then I went back to the team and I said, look, I think now we have to address this issue. If we want to push the agenda of community, we, every time we put in an order, it's got to be a variety. So we can have 10 floral, 10 checkered, 10, checkered, mm. 10 lines, mm. 10 plain. Mm. And then the 40 overweavers can somehow get involved in some mm. part of it. Mm. So, you know, it's through these regular trips that we make up to the community that we then learn. It's a two-way learning, mm. right? Mm. I, I don't know everything. Mm. They're teaching me too. But where it comes to the shop and the display, um, that's left to us. Mm. Yeah. Now, before I wrap up and let you fly off back to beautiful Borneo, um, if you were to rewind, you know, two years ago, a, a year ago, and you, like you said earlier, it, it's a very large space, you mm-hmm. know, that, that you're in right now. Would you have done anything differently? Would you have changed anything that you, uh, where you are? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to mention to you that, you know, it's a two-story space, right? Mm. So when we were pressed at that time to open the shop in tandem with when the museum launched. We were literally given, I think, less than two months to do that, including the idea of the shop. We felt that we could only manage the ground floor yeah. and we couldn't manage the mezzanine floor. Yeah. Now then what we did was we didn't want to open a space and have half a floor closed off. So what I did was I invited two um, galleries to come in, art galleries, not craft, and gave them that space to showcase art done by Sarawakian artists who are still, some of them still alive, some of them no longer around. Mm. And that was also another way for us to support the local art and artists as well, not just the crafting sector. Mm -hmm. Would I have done anything differently? Um, There's always room for improvement, (laughs) right? (laughs) But I have no regrets taking up the challenge of the space because I think by doing that we have now created a platform we have now also been a pioneer we have created a template I think for the retail scene in Sarawak we have over 60 independent artisans crafting communities NGOs charities and you were saying there's been over a million people come through over there almost by this year 2023 um, the museum would have hit a million visitors which that's, is that's impressive. Amazing, amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Where can people find out more information about some of the stuff they might be seeing in the uh, uh, museum store then? You can have a look at our website, um, theraniofsarawak.com, or you can, of course, come to Kuching and visit us at the Borneo Cultures Museum. It's always nice to be able to browse and touch and feel. Absolutely. Right? Products firsthand. All right. Dr. Rosemary, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. 
It's been an absolute pleasure. This has been Open for Business here on BFM 89.9. And if you did miss any part of the show, highly recommend you go and download the podcast. It'll be available via uh, our app, which is available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Enterprise, my name is Rich Bradbury here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.